0: And now, back to David Spada and Elliot Harris for more sports and torts on TalkZone.com.
1: This is a pleasure. We get to talk to um, the newest member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame Is going in the first week of August, former Arizona State Sun Devil and Kansas City Chief, Houston Oil and Detroit Lion, Curly Call. How you doing, Curly? Fine, fine. Thank you very much. So I see you went to Arizona State. Was that I your did. sole choice for college, or were you looking at other colleges back at, in
2: the 60s? Well, I had an opportunity to go to UCLA on a wrestling scholarship. The only catch was that it was one of those situations where if you made the team, you had a scholarship. But at Arizona State, it gave me an opportunity to do two things. One, to play football, and secondly, to uh, wrestle, which was a real dear to me at the time.
0: Now, you, as a high school player and athlete, you were very good in football, but you were even better in wrestling. Was that the sport at which you really excelled?
2: Well, I, yeah, I enjoyed wrestling. Uh, football there at, at uh, my hometown, Yuma, Arizona, we, we had some decent years, but I think my wrestling um, success was probably overshadowed the the uh, football
1: endeavors. So who recruited you to Arizona State? Was it Frank Cush or was it one of the assistants?
2: Well, Frank Cush was the head coach during that time, but a gentleman by the name of Jack Stovall was a gentleman that uh, pursued me heavily, him and I guess through the uh, support of my high school coach at the time by the guy by the name of uh, Frank Thomas.
0: What was playing for Frank Cush like?
2: (laughs) <laughs> Frank was a super, you know. Frank was a super coach. You know, he brought in a lot of individuals and gave them opportunities to play football and also get an education at Arizona State University. I think his style of coaching probably wouldn't wouldn't fit today's uh, college coach, but he he had great success at Arizona State University.
1: He had a lot of Hall of Famers. He coached one. I know was Charlie Taylor.
2: Yeah, Charlie Taylor was one. Uh, Mike Haynes was one. of uh, Random McDaniel, and myself and. Uh, Reggie Jackson played there. Uh, he, didn't, uh, he didn't play football as much, but he started out at football and, tr- and switched
0: over to, to, to play baseball. I have to ask you, your first name is Curly. Were your parents Three Stooges fans, or how, how did that name come about? Well, I have a twin sister, and her name was Shirley. She was born about <laughs> 15 minutes before me.
2: And as the story goes, I, I was told by my sister Lucille, said that uh, she came up with the, with the rain with the rhyme between uh, Shirley and Curly. <laughs> yeah, I tell you, I had to I had to live with that. A lot of people think that Curly is a nickname. A lot of people have Curly as a nickname, but uh but that's my given name. Uh, no middle name, just Curly.
1: Did you ever go up against Reggie Jackson in practice? Reggie Jackson was a was a running back and I, I
2: had an opportunity to block for him as an offensive guard when I was there at Arizona State in my freshman year.
0: So one year of football cured Reggie playing football, and he said, I'll I'll stick to the baseball diamond. Is that how it went?
2: <laughs> well, I don't think that's quite quite true. I think uh, there was a situation there at Arizona State University where Reggie was in, had an opportunity to go through a hamburger drill, and I think that hamburger drill uh, kind of just, uh, made up his mind on uh, which sport he wanted to pursue at the time.
1: So the hamburger drill, is he would have been the meat in between the two buns? <laughs> <laughs> I guess you could say
0: that. <laughs> now you, your wrestling success continued at Arizona State, mm-hmm. winning national championships. Uh, I think you you also walked away with uh, an award for having the most falls in the quickest amount of time. You yeah. you, you pinned what four or five uh, or three or four opponents. Yeah, the, the and that when Yeah, yeah, at at the state. State. yeah. My junior year.
2: Yeah, it's called the Gregorian Award. Yes. That was a quite quite an accomplishment. I really uh, It was one of those situations where I had a I had a head coach by the name of Ted Bradyhoff for wrestling, and I must say that I was in the best shape I've ever, I've ever been in my life going into the nationals. And the first the first round, I wrestled a gentleman from Lehigh, and I beat him fifteen to five. And then the rest of my opponents, I took them to the mat and I pinned them all. And then in the in the championship round, a guy by the name of Nick Carolla from uh, Adam State, I Pin him in 51 seconds, and so it was a really a, a great, a great uh, feat on my part to be a part of a team. I think that's the first time Arizona State University ranked so highly in the national. So it was a great deal.
1: Did you do a lot of weightlifting when you were uh, training for wrestling, or was it basically just sheer strength?
2: I think it was probably more sure strength than anything. Although we did have a weight a program there at Arizona State, but it wasn't really extensive. We had a guy by the name of John Cole kind of helped out with athletics, but uh, it wasn't uh, the kind of weight training that they have nowadays in colleges and universities.
0: How did Iowa or Iowa State not come after you for wrestling? That you know. Well, you know, small
2: town, you Arizona? You know, I. I uh, I run a state champion a couple of years in a row there, there at uh, UMA High School, but like I could say the only the only institution that sought me was the uh, USC and uh, I'm at UCLA, so it's just one of those things. But do Did you have any football?
0: Quite big. But, but UCLA didn't want you for football. No, it was wrestling. Did you think about trying out for the '68 Olympics though
2: in wrestling? Well, uh, my junior year, because I was uh one of the nationals, and I think the following year, my senior year, I had an opportunity to compete for the Olympics. In fact, I made the Olympic squad. I was uh, number two heavyweight in the country at the time. A guy by the name of Larry Kristoff and myself, he was number one, I was number two. And I went to the um, the trials. I think it was in Lincoln, Nebraska at the time. And it was one of those situations where they said if you win two out of the three matches, the one that, they won the, you know, two matches would have an opportunity to pick which way you wanted to be, either freestyle or greco. And freestyle wrestling is where you use your legs and your upper body. And that was my choice. Although the powers that be wanted me to go greco. And, uh, I wrestled this guy the first, first round and, uh, I thought I'd pinned him and a couple of judges said he was pinned and after the, I relaxed a bit, and he rolled me a couple of times. So the, the, the outcome of the match was a little differently than I thought it should have been. So I decided to pursue uh, football instead of
1: wrestling at the time. Must have been the German scoring system.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, I don't know. It's uh, now I kind of laugh at it a little bit, but at the time I was
0: I was pretty ticked off about it. I would think so. Now, is the story true? That in practice, you broke the helmets of uh, three of your teammates.
2: <laughs> That's what they say. I was. I was. Or was it more? Huh? Or was it more, <laughs> huh? I, was well, it more I, than that? You know, the, my memory back in those days kind of kind of fades a little bit with age. But I had an opportunity to participate in a um, prostate cancer golf tournament in Arizona recently, and I asked that question to one of my coaches at the time, Larry Cantara. And him and uh, Frank Cush was there at the table. We were visiting about you know about those days, and so I asked him point blank if that, if that actually happened. He said, "Yeah, he did." So he he verified it for me. So I guess it's true.
1: <laughs> was Frank Kush that much of a disciplinarian?
0: Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, that's another way to just say he was a hard-ass, right?
2: <laughs> well, you know, he, he got things done. He, he was a winning coach, and some of his tactics today probably wouldn't fit in, but like I said earlier, but, you know, he was a great a great coach and did, did a lot of good for a lot of athletes there at Arizona State University.
0: Now, at Arizona State, you were also voted in 1967 the boy with the best smile. Yeah. True? <laughs> yeah, isn't that something? <laughs> did that come with a, a plaque or a trophy or anything? No, it
2: was just, I guess because of my junior year and I won the, uh, the nationals, I guess everybody kind of knew who I was and so they had a picture of me and I had a little jar that you put money in and whoever, whoever ended up collecting the most money would get the, uh, get the award. So I won the award. I think a lot of my teammates came and dropped a nickel or a diamond every now and then, you know, so. <laughs> One of those kind of deals, but yeah, it was a, a great thing that the student body, you know, gave me that kind of recognition.
1: When you got drafted by the Kansas City Chiefs, did you think to yourself, you know, what maybe I should go and become a professional wrestler rather than go into professional football? Well, I was
2: drafted by Denver. I was their first pick. They didn't have a first round pick, so I was drafted by Denver. And the scouts, the college scouts at the time. Uh, felt that I was uh, better suited for offense, I guess mainly because of my stature, my size, my height and primarily, I guess, because they just felt that I was too short to play D-line. And uh, I was um, had an opportunity to participate in the college all-star game there in Chicago. So I was a little late getting to training camp there in Denver, and Lou Saban was the coach, and like the, uh, the college scouts, he wanted me to participate in offense, and I did that. I didn't like it, but I did it because that's what he wanted me to do. And he gave me an opportunity to do both, you know, offense and defense. And then I just, uh, it just didn't work out there. Um, I had one game, uh, one, one game from preseason. I thought I graded out, well, I did grade out better than anybody else on the D line, but the next, the following week I was out of there. He traded me to Kansas City. And the thing about Kansas City, uh, uh, Hank Stram, uh, there at Arizona State, he came down for one of those athletic events, and he spoke to the to the athletes at the at the event, and said to me afterwards that if he ever had an opportunity to pick me up, he would. He didn't draft me, but he had an opportunity to pick me out of uh, from Denver when uh, Lou Saban decided to let me go. So,
0: yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, look, I'm looking at, at the '68 NFL draft, and Kansas City's picking uh, 22nd, and they take uh, George Taney, an offensive guard from. Uh, Texas uh, El Paso, who, yeah. you know, I never heard of. <laughs> yeah, George
2: Daney was, yeah, yeah, George Daney, and I think that same class was maybe Bob, Bob Stein was in, maybe he came to follow oh. him here, but. Oh, I thought they also had a, they got Mo Morman at 19, and offensive will Yeah, Mo Morman, that's the guy that I went against every, every day in
1: practice, yeah, Mo Morman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who was your coach for the college Doster games? It's still Otto Granry or was it someone else in 68? Um, you know, it
2: kind of, it was Norm Van. I think it was Norm Van Brocklin. That was a 1968, College All-Star Game. If my memory serves correctly, it was Norm Van
0: Brocklin. Yes. So you get to Chiefs training camp. How different was that from the Broncos? Mm,
2: you know, it's all. It was structured a little differently. I, I think um, the organization was kind of. Different in the sense that you had veteran ball players there, so things were done a little differently. Uh, they had a, a weight training program. A guy by the name of Al uh, Alvin Roy, I believe his name was, that uh, had a, everybody lifted weights regardless of what position you played. You had to lift weights, and then we had a big uh, jacuzzi there for the players, uh, especially when we moved over to, to Arrowhead in 1972. And, they, and in that building, they had a racquetball court, and I tell you. Everybody was kind of fascinated about the racquetball, and I started playing racquetball for the first time. I truly enjoyed it because I think the quickness in playing the game allowed me to, to maybe hone in on some of the things that might be productive on the football field.
1: At 68, Chiefs defense was something else, though. He gave up, what, 170 points, which was an AFL record, and they said it's one of the finest defenses ever assembled. I tell you, it was, it was a great bunch of men. I mean, you
2: had uh, Jerry Mays on one side and Aaron Brown on the other side at ends, and then you had me and Buchanan in the middle, and then there's Willie Lanier, Bobby Bell, Jim Lynch. You know, we had a great bunch. You got Johnny Robinson, Emmett Thomas. So Jim Marcel is a guy that I room with a lot uh, because we kind of I think we started the first year together there. So it was a great, uh, great, great fit with uh, the blend between. You know, young ball players and also veteran ball. It was a good, it was a good, uh, good, act. a good kind of. I mean, how would you say it was one of those teams where you wanted to be on because uh, it was just a, a good chemistry, and and Hank Strand was such a great coach. He was he, he very innovative in a lot of things he tried
0: to do as well. How was he at, at dealing individually with the players? Who, Hank Strand? Yes. Hmm it's okay I mean uh, I don't think that did, did he leave that to the position coaches mostly well
2: probably the latter you know because Tom Pratt was the defensive line coach and uh, most of the time my interactions with was with Tom Pratt if uh, there was a situation on the team that uh, that Tom Pratt thought that Hank Stram should come involved with he would, he would do that you know he held uh, two roles one is a as a head coach and also one that dealt with players' contracts, I thought that was kind of conflict of interest somewhat, but he did that, but overall it was you know it, it was work
0: for the chiefs and then all of a sudden, you know, after a couple of seasons, you find yourself playing in Super Bowl four mhm against Minnesota mm-hmm. you know for the people who weren't around, then can you explain what the Super Bowl was like compared to what it is what it has become? Well that was in
2: 1968, the fanfare the all the excitement the entertainment portion of it was wasn't as massive as it was today you know today it's really theater in 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 the largest sense of the word, but then you know you was just you know you go out and you play a game and uh we had uh a good time doing it but uh you know things evolved things changed and it's uh i think the uh the commercials and the naturally the kind of revenue that's generated from the event has
1: changed quite substantially. What I don't get is, why? how did the Chiefs end up letting you go to Houston? I mean, you were the prime of your career, weren't you? Yeah, I was 28 years old, yes, and uh, I stayed in uh,
2: Kansas City six and a half years and, and six and a half years in Houston. It was one of those situations where that particular offseason was, I think I was the ending of my sixth year or probably in my sixth year of my contract and uh that's when the World Football League started up and so and I was having some difficulty getting things ironed out with with Hank so I decided to go on and pursue that possibility of playing with the World Football League and I signed a contract with the California Suns at the time. And so I was just at nineteen seventy four NFL season I was just basically playing out that year with all expectations of playing with the World Football League the following year, and so the middle of the, middle of the season uh, we had a little a disagreement of sorts, and so Hank decided to
0: uh, let me go. But, but you never made it to the World Football League.
2: No, well the World Football was the, well their first year was seventy four, and that's you know it just dissolved, and so I. I stayed and worked things out in Houston and stayed in Houston for that period of time from the middle of 74 to 1980 or 1981 when I finished up in Detroit.
0: And you go to Houston and the defensive coordinator for Sid Gilman is is Bum Phillips. Yeah. yeah, What Bum like? Well, Bum, <laughs>
2: quite quite different than, the, than a than a Hank Stram, of course, and or even even a even Tom Pratt, you know. But uh, Bum, I think Bum was with uh, Sid in San Diego, so Bum came over to Houston when when Sid came, and uh, and quite uh, Bum was a player's coach in a lot of respects. You know, he's uh, he's a great guy. You know, he was really hands on and and let people do their own thing, so to speak.
1: Because Sid Gilman was basically running the offense, and so did he leave Bum Phillips strictly to run the defense?
2: Well, well Bum was a defensive line coach. I don't know who I don't know who was the, the defensive coordinator at the time. It's probably someone there. I just don't recall it at this point, but I knew Bum was a, was a defensive line coach, and the following year he became the head coach. And then uh, Eddie Bowles became the defensive coordinator. And I believe his son, Wade Phillips, became the defensive line coach if I'm not mistaken.
0: Now, in Super Bowl Four, when they had you play over Vic uh, Tingleoff with Viking Center, that's that's sort of the the game that is credited of inventing the three-four defense. Uh-huh. Did you like being that that nose tackle guy <laughs> and being able to take a free shot at the center at every, every play? Yeah, well, um, you
2: know. Kansas City we had that triple stack and our, we had two defense primarily triple stack and under and the triple stack was one which we, the defensive line would slide to the strength of the formation and under defense we would slide away from the strength but there in, in, uh, in the Super Bowl I think oftentimes I was I, I don't know if I was assigned for the center all the time or it was just it was just so happened to be over the center because of the fact of the strength of the formation offensively but uh you know, I think a lot of people say that was a kind of the uh, the start of it all, but I think it was more situational than anything else. But it was a definite mismatch, a deep, deep line against an offensive center because the main responsibility of the center is to hike the ball. He has to hike the ball before he does anything else. And so my, I'm engaging him probably at the same time he's hiking the ball. So it's, a, it's an advantage to the defensive lineman in those kind of circumstances, although, you know, you have a, a situation where you got the guards coming down on you, too, so it's a, it's interesting, to it, say the least.
1: Did anyone talk more in the Kansas City Chiefs team than Bobby Bell? He seemed like that yeah, he was basically the talk of the one, of Willie, Willie Lanier was more of like the structured, quiet leader.
2: <laughs> I guess. We all had our, had our say, but... I think uh think thinking back probably Bobby did do a little talking. Really you know, really called the plays inside the huddle. I had a lot of interaction with Bobby because when I played defensive left tackle, we would always, you know, do have stunts that we had to perform and he'd check off or give me a different assignment right before the snap of the ball. So yeah, he was he was a very he was communicating with me and also I think Emmy Thomas out there at the corner at uh, the cornerback, so yeah. When you have a veteran team like that, we always, you know, everybody talk, You
1: know, <laughs> anybody listen?
2: <laughs> evidently, we won some games, so throw
0: right?
1: Bobby Bell insists to this day in that Super Bowl with Fred Williamson, he insists that Fred didn't get hurt, that his feelings were hurt, and that's why he pulled himself out of the game. Oh yeah, I tell you, yeah, Bobby, he,
2: he, he can talk. He can talk a mile a minute, man. I tell you. Great guy. In fact, I was
0: busy with him the other day about a few things. You go to the Oilers, and all of a sudden, uh, 75, they have their first winning season in eight years. Uh-huh. And, and you're named the uh, the Defensive Player of the Year. Uh-huh. First-team All-Pro. Yeah. A, a simple transition to Houston? You say a simple? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing no, simple. No, right? no, simple a I'm
2: playing defensive left tackle primarily In Kansas City, it would occasionally, sometimes, I get on the nose because of you know the shift of the formation. And then when I go down to Houston, I'm I'm stuck right there over the center, so you don't you don't have much movement. You know, you're just right there and kind of an apex of the of the action. You know, you can't you can't
1: relax. You know, you're always involved in what's going on on the football field. So and, and you go from that nice stadium in Kansas City to that Astrodome, which that playing surface was not the greatest. Yeah, that's that's true. That Astrodome
2: surface was 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 quite uh, quite unique in the sense that the, I guess the uh, the footing, the foundation wasn't uh, wasn't really suitable to football.
0: So it it hurt your quickness then. What the Astroturf? Yeah. No, the astroturf
2: doesn't hurt. I mean, I think as far as quickness and getting moving around on on in a game is probably a lot easier on astroturf than it is on grass. Although grass gives you a little cushion, astroturf you have those ripples, you have those tears and things like that. You guys get you know ripped up ankles and knees and all that kind of thing. But uh, it was a it was a hard surface. Sometimes it felt like you were just playing on concrete. It was so hard.
1: But you had Alvin Pathea next to you, which probably helped you basically get some pass rush.
2: Yeah, Elvin Play was a great one. I mean he was out there playing right in and then and then we had guys like uh Teddy Washington, uh Robert Basile came in, uh I think um my it was seventy six he came in and he helped out and you have a guy inside by the name of Greg Bingham and Steve Kiner and so we had uh we had a good bunch of individuals, not the same talent that that was at uh Kansas City, but we played well. We had good chemistry.
0: Can you tell us about the touchdown you scored. <laughs> I guess that was in Kansas.
2: No, take that back. That was in San Diego. San Diego. It was quite interesting. I picked up the ball and I was just rumbling down the field, and and <laughs> he yelled at me. I guess I, well, I was going the wrong direction, I, I, and he held. He going the wrong way. So, and I turned around and stumbled into the end zone. So, but I tell you, the first one and the last one and and fourteen years in professional football. It's quite quite neat to say the least.
1: What is it with these defensive linemen going the wrong way?
2: But <laughs> well, I don't know. You you know when you're down there eating eating all that grass and you pop up, man, you just start running, you know?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You could have been a running back with that those skills, right?
2: Yeah, right. You know, when I was in high school, I was a running back for a, for a day. <laughs> we had a guy. We had a guy by name of um, uh Comet. I think his first name was Larry Comet, and he got hurt, and uh, and so the, my high school coach Frank, I thought it was by Frank Thomas, said decided that he wanted to he wanted me to play a little fullback because I had good size. But the only thing is, I had good upper body and all that, but. That's all the guys had to do, is hit me around my ankles, man. I just tumbled right down, you know. So, yeah, But it was it was kind of neat, canned to, can to me a little bit. <laughs> Jim Mattel said you're the strongest guy you ever played against. Was he your toughest opponent? Well, you know, there are a lot of tough offensive linemen in the league done that, during that era, and uh, it's, a, it's great that uh, Otto would say that about me. I took pride in trying to keep myself physically fit to play the game. You know, when I got, like I said, when Kansas City, we had the weight training. And then when I shifted to to Houston, uh, me and a guy by the name of Jim Young, James Young was, we and him were kind of worked out extensively in the offseason trying to trying to stay strong because we knew that that was helpful when you're dealing with those offensive linemen, you know.
0: How gratifying was it, you know, after Houston released you, to, to still be able to play at a, a an NFL level with Detroit?
2: Well, I was 28 years old, so I still had a lot of football left in me. So uh, it's always good to have an opportunity to still play the game and somebody still wants your talents.
1: So from that perspective, it was
2: quite uh,
1: interesting, I guess. Did you have to go up against Earl Campbell in practice, or did they did not let the first teams go against each other?
2: Yeah, we, we, uh, we had soft practices. They, uh, oftentimes he was in the backfield running the football when they were doing their thing. And oftentimes, uh, off, the number one offense, uh, don't, does not get, you know, you don't get matched up with the number one defense that often. But occasionally, you know, it happens. So, yes.
0: How do you tackle a guy with size that big? You try to stay out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: Let the line <laughs> That's about a powerful runner you know Earl's a powerful runner you know Yeah, and so he reminds me a lot of the guy that uh, ran hard like that uh, what's that guy's name from Miami Larry Zonka maybe
0: yeah yeah so yeah but, but Earl had more speed than Zonka Zonka was sort of like a bulldozer
2: right right but they're still powerful runners
0: though
1: yeah yeah who was the best player you think in the NFL when you were playing the best yes
2: I mean, there are a lot. I mean, there are a lot of great players.
1: You know,
2: the best. You, uh, you know, they're best players at its positions. You're talking about. I don't know what criteria you use when you use when you say the word best. I mean, in Chicago, everybody says Walter Payton. Yeah, well, you talk, now you talking about running backs on a team, an era. You know, there's a lot of good. You know, back in the day, there's you know guys like you know Jim Brown. They talk about a heck of a runner, uh, sweetness. uh. Walter Pay was good. Earl Campbell was good. Uh, Chuck Munch was decent. You had a guy named uh, what was his name Dickerson, Gerald so, Dickerson, yeah, yeah. And you, you know, so you go on and on. A guy that played me in Kansas City by the name Mike Garrett was a great, great uh, running back. And Ed Portillo, you know, so Wendell Hayes in his own way. So there's a lot of great, you know, individuals that played the game. That's why they're called professionals, I guess. Yeah,
0: yeah. What was it like? finding out you've made the Hall of Fame after all this time. Well, it's
2: uh, very humbling, um, and I'm just so so honored and so blessed to be a part of the next group going in. It's a great group of men, you know, Bill Parcells, uh, Ogden, and Warren Sapp, and Chris Carter, you know, so Larry Allen. I mean, it's just a great bunch of guys, so I'm very pleased. Who's
1: going to be your presenter?
2: My my son, my youngest son is going to present me. If he, uh, that's where that's where it stands today, and uh, he's going he's going to do a great job. And I'm looking forward for him to. He hasn't. I think he's still working on the, the speech, but uh,
0: yeah, he'll be there to represent. So, do you get to to look at the speech beforehand, or does it he speak speak of my speech? <laughs> <laughs> yes, <Yeah. laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, well, I, I don't know. I, I'd probably look at it, I, I guess, if he wants me to. Did you have a favorite coach you played for? Mm, let me see. That's a good question. You know, there's so many great coaches out there. Uh, you know, Lou Saban's a good coach. We just we just didn't get along, but uh, he was a great coach. Hank Stram was a super coach. Bob Phillips was a great coach. I mean, they're all good coaches. They just, you know, they just do things a little differently, you know. But uh, I don't know the number. The greatest coach that I've been involved with, probably, well, Hank Stram, probably because of the fact that they, you know, teams with two Super Bowls, you know, the first Super Bowl and and the fourth Super Bowl. But he would bum, you know. We got to the championship game with with Pittsburgh two years in a row, so they both accomplished. So I guess they'll be right there together. Did you ever favor favorite quarterback to sack? That you just like. <laughs> Them off any other quarterback is great to sack a quarterback. That's Dobbinski. <laughs> <obviously, you know. laughs> he can bring any, other, any one of them down. That's a great feeling, man.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, when I think of you, I think of you as a Kansas City Chief. What, what, what do you think of yourself as?
2: As an as a NFL ball player. That played with, uh, started out with Denver, did a stint in Kansas City and, and Houston, and finished up in Detroit. Did you have a favorite teammate? Favorite teammate? man Buck was pretty close. Um, Marvin Upshaw played with him in Kansas City. We were roommates. Jim Marcellus, he was my roommate on the road. And in Houston, uh, since I was kind of like, I didn't really have a roommate per se. We kind of, the veterans, Gate had their own rooms. But I think probably uh, maybe James Young, possibly. Uh, I them to say, uh, Kenny Kennard, the guy that kind of came in and helped me out. Uh, we helped each other out plan the nose. So those individuals.
0: Now, do you live in Austin, Texas now?
2: I do. I live in Austin, Texas. Well, actually, Pflugerville, which is kind of north of the city a little bit. Okay.
0: How'd you end up down there?
2: Well, in 1992, I uh, came to, uh, to Austin to go to school at UT, you know, and I was accepted into the program there called the CCLP program, the Community College Leadership Program. That uh, So I started that in 92. And uh, and after that was, was completed, or near completion, I decided to stay in Austin. I can't blame you. It's, it's a, a wonderful town. Yeah, it is. In fact, uh, Austin is probably the 11th. Largest city in the United States now and they say anywhere from twenty to twenty five to thirty thousand people coming in here every year, so the only problem is the traffic is a little more than a notion, but I guess that goes with progress, you
1: know, you got people coming in, you're gonna have traffic problems. You're not a Cowboys fan now though. What's that? You're not a Dallas Cowboys fan, are you?
0: What's
1: that? That does it for
0: another edition of Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com. I would like to thank our guests, Curly Culp and Mike Ditka, a couple of Hall of Famers, and our Hall of Fame executive producer, Dave Olson. And I'd like to thank everybody out there in cyberspace for tuning in. See you next time.